Wow, thank you, and good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning to those of you that are here, and good morning to those of you who are worshiping online with us today. I'll say a special good morning to Michael and Abby, who are worshiping with us online today. We miss you, but we're so glad that you're getting some family time today. So I'm going to talk about salt in the city today. Uh, when Michael first asked me uh, to preach, I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, and so I asked him if he would spend a few minutes talking about the reason we are salt box. Wow, did he hit it out of the park with that? Can we just say praise the Lord? But it hit me Friday that the reason he asked me to preach today was because it's daylight savings time Sunday, right? <laughs> and, and, and he wanted me to be here in case all of you got the time wrong. Um, uh, just, just kidding. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'll self-disclose that I'm not a Bible scholar. I'll also self-disclose that some of my professors at Wake Forest University would say maybe not even a scholar. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I've learned a lot in the last, uh, 67 years that I've walked this earth. Um, I believe in the word. I believe in the power of the word, the power of Jesus living in us. I believe in that. Uh, I believe in the power of words. My mom used to say, son, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Sorry, mom. I've learned a lot. Words have power, power for good, power for evil. Um, and I'll sh also share this morning, I'm just a little intimidated sharing this space. Um, so many great pastors have been in this space, both here and when we were at Hoggard, where we started our journey. And yes, Michael, I was talking about you, too, last week when we were talking about this. I think Michael, when I said that, I think Michael thought I was talking about some other people. No, I'm talking about Michael, too. But when you think about the folks that have occupied this space, it's, it's a little humbling to, to be up here and to spend this time and to bring God's word to you today. Um, but I'm up to it. I've prayed about it. I've asked the Holy Spirit to, to be with me and help deliver my words this morning. My wife, Donna, who's here, and my son, Paul, welcome. Uh, we've been worshiping online for the last 16 months, right? So I don't know a whole lot of you in person um, because the camera looks here, the camera doesn't look there, right? Um, Donna's prayers, I'll listen to the Spirit when the Spirit says it's time to stop and sit down. Uh, um, she's, heard me, she's heard me talk before. I can, I can go for a bit, um, especially when the Spirit's moving. I can, I can get wound up. Missy heard me get wound up Friday uh, in, a, in a different presentation, but, um, but um, we're going to talk about salt in the city today, and we're going to talk about about why it's so important for us as a body of believers to be salt in the community, to preserve our community. And sometimes preserving means building that community up, right? To, um, to, to let Jesus use us to purify and clean our city, our city that needs so much. Um, and it's our obligation, I'll share with you today, to, to do that. And then to season, to flavor our community, to bring the flavor of Jesus Christ to our community, to help people see that there's a better way and there's a path through life where they can achieve and be successful and be believers. So, how can you be salt in the city? How can, how can we together be salt in the city? So I'm going to share the word with you today. Uh, somebody asked, what passage are you, are you teaching from today? And I said, well, several. 
Um, and uh, then I'm also going to share three words with you today. And those three words that I want you to never forget are imagine, believe, and lead. Three very important words. And I'm going to use these words to convince you that you have incredible power. Every single one of you are incredibly powerful, especially as you invite Jesus to live in you. And to fully dwell in you, you've got incredible power to affect change, to do good, to change the world. So let's take that journey today. History proves that virtually everything of value that's ever happened in the world started because a single person was willing to act, to work, to affect change. Think about our Bible heroes, and let's start right away with Jesus, all right? How about Paul, Abraham, Moses, Mary, the mother of Jesus, make the list, right? Individuals who are willing to act to affect change, to change people's lives, to make the world a better place. Look at our world. Look at the power of the people who have individually taken steps, taken action to work to change the world. Um, you know, um, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, holy moly, how strong can a tiny woman be? She's a giant, right? Uh, because of her belief. People like um, Martin Luther King, George Washington Carver. I mean, think about people who were willing to use the gifts that they had to affect change in people's lives. I'm going to have several news flashes for you along the way today. And here's the first one. That's you too. You can be that person. You can be that person that changes the world. It may not be this massive thing that happens all at once. But you change the world when you change one life. The world's never the same again, is it? When you've changed that one life, the world will never be the same. How about when you change the second life or the third life? How about if we collectively are able to change lives, a life at a time, five lives at a time, ten? How about if we can change a community? I believe in you. I believe in your incredible power. So let's start with the word imagine. And to introduce the word imagine, I'm going to turn to Revelation. For those of you who've got your, um, your paper Bibles, uh, Revelation uh, 21, verses 15 through 23. If you're scrolling, that's where you scroll to. I've got to change my glasses for this. I had better eyesight when my dad gave me this Bible. <laughs> the foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls, each of the gates a single pearl. And the street of the city is pure gold, uh, trans, pure gold transparent as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light and its lamp is the Lamb. 
the word imagine is, is important to us, right? But let's start with what I see in our city. Um, I hear in my, in my workplace, I hear all of the juvenile cases in New Hanover County. Kids in trouble and the families that have intersected with the child welfare system. I see a young mother overdosed on the floor of the Burger King that's our gateway to our city coming across the Cape Fear River. Needle still in her arm, her baby laying on the floor. I see on one side of town, fourth and fifth graders, as I'm calling a spelling bee, that we're having to Google high school spelling bee words because these kids go for an hour without missing a word. And later that day, I'm in a third grade classroom on the other side of town where young boys aren't able to read complete sentences. I see families living in tents. I see a mom who calls me out in court the other week for what I'm going to do to keep her daughter safe because this mother, who's 30 years old, had watched her daughter be shot twice by a 15-year-old boy only to have the 15-year-old boy turn the gun on her and shoot her 10 times. What are you going to do, Judge, to keep my daughter safe? And I listened to that 10-year-old weep uncontrollably as she tried to talk to me and couldn't because of the trauma that she had experienced. I listened to a 15-year-old describe to me why he felt that a 13-year-old outside his house had a gun and was going to shoot him if he didn't shoot first. And so he randomly shot 10 times in two and a half seconds out of an upstairs window in his house, not even looking where he was shooting because he was afraid that they were going to be shot. I see on a regular basis uh, young adults, parents who've overdosed. Uh, some we've lost. Some have been brought back with Narcan, given a new chance at life. It's every day, ladies and gentlemen. Children hungry, children hiding under their beds from gunfire. We've got a pretty tough city that needs a lot of work, but lest you think I wallow in self-despair all the time, I do not. Because I imagine that the world can be a better place. I imagine that their world can be a place where kids don't have to hide under beds from guns, where kids don't go hungry, where families live in homes, not tents, where children can live and read and learn can get the degrees in high school or college that they need to, to chase the dreams that every child has growing up. I believe that that can happen. I can see that. Can you see it? So how can you see what I see? Oh, and let me, and let me just say that, that you know, the word imagine is, is really important for us as believers. You heard where I started, right? And I'm going to circle back to that in just a minute. But um, some of you were here a few weeks ago when Michael was trying to give you the image of the people of Israel walking across the desert, and I think it was the city of Chicago that he used as an example. Can you imagine the city of Chicago walking across the desert? He was calling us to use our imagination to see that image. The writer of Revelation gives us, gives us his dream and asks us to imagine those streets of gold. The word imagine is important to us. How can you see what I see? Have any of you seen the movie Bridge to Terabithia? So Bridge to Terabithia ought to be required viewing for every middle school teacher. It just ought to be. Uh, real quick, Jess and Leslie... 
two middle schoolers, incredibly bright and talented children, are walking that middle school journey that's such, such a challenging journey. Uh, because they are so gifted and talented, they get bullied. But Jess and Leslie find a place to be. They find a forest that becomes an enchanted forest where magical things happen, where they can climb trees in leaps and bounds. I used to climb trees. There wasn't any leaping or bounding about it. <laughs> but Jess and Leslie can do it. And, then, and they're, fighting this, they're fighting an army of what they call squatters, which is you know, squirrels with little helmets on, and they were throwing pine cones, which they called grenades. And then they go running through the forest, and they climb to the top of this tree. Leslie gets there first. No surprise. Girl gets there first. She gets to the top of the tree, and she looks out, and she sees this magical kingdom laid out below her. Jess gets to the top of the tree and says, exactly what am I supposed to be looking at? Here's what Leslie says. Close your eyes and keep your mind wide open. Close your eyes and keep your mind wide open. So Jess closes his eyes and opens his eyes, and he sees it. How often do we get so wrapped up in our lives that we don't stop to close our eyes and open our minds? How often in our walk of faith do we not take the time to close our eyes and open our minds and our hearts to Jesus? The key to imagination is closing down that outside world and opening our minds and, and seeing what we can see. Einstein, Albert Einstein, that's a familiar name to you. Einstein says that imagination is more important than knowledge. First time I read that, I thought, what? But think about it. Where did all our knowledge come from? Because somebody thought it up. Somebody who had powerful imagination came up with new ideas or new inventions or whatever. They had the power of imagination fully harnessed. Einstein also said, if, your children, if you want your children to be smart, read them fairy tales. And if you want your children to be even smarter, read them even more fairy tales. Einstein recognized the importance of harnessing the power of imagination. And we've got to do that as we seek to be salt in the city so that we can imagine that different world that I was talking about where things are so much better and it's important for us to use that power. So think about how powerful a spark, a single match, a single candle is in a dark room. The spark of imagination can light your life, can light your home, can light this church, can light our, our community. Just a single spark, and we can be that spark. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read uh, some of that passage from Revelation again. So close your eyes, and here we go. The foundations of the wall of the city are adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each of the gates is a single pearl. And the street of the city is pure gold, transparent as glass. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah, I can too. The power of the word imagination. You can open your eyes now. Um, that's how powerful 
the word imagination is and how important a word imagination is. So let's try one more. Close your eyes again. Eyes closed, minds open. I see a community where children have food and clothing, where families have stable housing, where folks have meaningful employment, where children are safe, where drugs are used for healing, where children are safe from gunfire, where churches are strong and salt in the community. Can you see it? I can. I can. Open your eyes. I dare to imagine. I dare to dream. You know, if we don't have dreams, we'll never have a dream come true. Have you thought about that? We've got to have a dream for this city that we live in. We've got to believe, we've got to imagine that, that there's a role for each of us uh, in this city. If we can see the streets of gold and we can see a stronger community. So let's use that word, imagine. And let's find our place because we've imagined that things can be different. Let's move to the word believe. Uh, this word will come from Philippians. I got this one by heart. Uh, I taught Sunday school for over 25 years at First Baptist. Um, this was the motto of our class. Uh, it was uh, Philippians uh, 4.13 for those of you who might want to read it. But we can probably all say it together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's say it together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Christ isn't going to help us do the evil work. Christ is going to help us on our, our Christian journey and the works that we do as part of our Christian journey. But I think we forget that very important verse sometimes when we, when we are hesitant and we think, well, I can't make a difference. I can't do this or I can't do that. Yeah, you can because you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you if you invite him to dwell in your heart. You can do it. Uh, so the power of the word believe is so very, very important. That word changes all of us. 1966 was when I welcomed Jesus into my heart. That was a minute or two ago. Uh, on the bookshelf in, in my office, I've got the Bible that my dad, who was my pastor, gave me that day. And his, there's a greeting written on the, on the inner, inner uh, cover of the book. Um, you know, um, the word is so powerful for us, and it's a word that should inspire us to action. It should embolden us. It should, it, should, it should empower us, right? Because we become very powerful people as we believe, as we believe in our power because we are infilled with Jesus, but also as we believe in our personal power to take action, to make changes. That's from our faith. I'm going to share a few real-life examples with you about, about the word uh, believe, and I'll start with the movie Hook. What, that's not real life? <laughs> so more of you have probably seen the movie Hook than have seen Bridge to Terabithia. You've got to be a movie nerd like me to have seen Bridge to Terabithia. The movie Hook, Peter Pan left Neverland, um, went to England, became a horrible mean person, a terrible daddy, a mean boss, a terrible husband. He forgot his happy thought. He forgot all about Neverland. And then Hook, who never forgot, came to England and kidnapped his children. And Peter had to go save them. Peter, who had forgotten his happy thought, forgotten he could fly, forgotten that he could fight. And so um, Wendy came and got him. 
or Tinkerbell came and got him, excuse me, and, uh, and took him to Neverland and worked with the lost boys to help him recover his happy thought. They taught him how to fight again. And then he went to fight Hook to save his children. Something that had to happen, right? So he's having a sword fight with Hook. He's getting the best of Hook, and then all of a sudden, Hook gets him down. And is sharpening his hook on a grindstone, and he's getting ready to finish Peter. And one by one, the lost boys say, I believe in you. I believe in you, Peter. And finally, it comes down to Tinkerbell. I believe in you too, Peter. And he throws Hook off, saves the day, saves his children, and the movie ends happily ever after, right? The power of the word believe. I get it. That was a movie. So a couple of other examples. Uh, in the year 2009, University of North Carolina, congratulations to the Tar Heels uh, for their win yesterday over my deacons. 2009, uh, the Tar Heels enjoyed some success in that basketball season, you know, national championship stuff. Um, there were a couple of blips along the way for the, for the Tar Heels, and one was Wake Forest. I'm not going to talk about that. But, but the University of Maryland that year, the first time that Maryland played Carolina, it was, it was awful. It was like Roland Grice Knights were in the house playing Carolina. It was, it was so awful. You know, the ESPN talking heads were saying, Gary Williams, maybe you ought to not get on that plane. You know, maybe, maybe you guys just ought to say forfeit because it was so horrific. Well, Gary Williams, being the coach that he is, wasn't having any of that. Um, and when he met with his players before the game in the locker room, here's what he said. Somebody that nobody knows needs to step up tonight. Somebody that nobody knows needs to step up tonight. The Terrapins go out on the floor and they upset Carolina, and the star of the game was an unheralded player named Cliff Tucker, a 6'6 shooting guard. He had the game of his life and led the Terrapins to upset the Tar Heels, who were ranked number one in the country at the time. So, you know, everybody's scrambling. Who is this guy? They're looking up his name, looking up his stats. And at the post-game interviews, the, the obvious question was, what, what happened to you? Cliff said, well, Coach Williams said that somebody that nobody knew needed to step up tonight, and I thought he was talking to me. <laughs> you hear that? So somebody that nobody in this community knows needs to step up today. That's you. They don't have to know us. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be on the TV news or in the newspaper. Some of the most important work I do doesn't happen in the courthouse. It happens when I'm greeting students at school or reading to third graders or serving a cup of coffee with a smile. That's some of the most important work that I do. And you can believe in that too. So one more real life story about my oldest son, Brad. Uh, eighth grade, uh, Brad was struggling with math. He had struggled mightily with mathematics through his entire education. We've got a math professor in the room. Uh, uh, I can't spell calculus. So how wasn't much help to, to Brad uh, with that? I could do physics. It made sense to me. Abstract mathematics. I just I prayed about it. It just wasn't happening. Uh, but my son, Brad, ran into a teacher in the eighth grade, Cheryl Spencer Beck. Bless her heart, she died of cancer a number of years ago. But, but Cheryl said, Brad, you can do this. I believe in you, and here's some tips, and here's some things, but I believe in you, Brad. So fast forward, Brad goes on to, to take AP physics at, at Hoggard, 
uh, did so well in the, in the testing on that, he decided that he wanted to major in physics in college. This is my son who struggled with mathematics until somebody shared that they believed in his power. She, she helped him believe. Now, he didn't end up majoring in physics. After, I think, three semesters of calculus, he wasn't seeing much of a physics lab and got a little disenchanted. But the point is, Cheryl Spencer Beck helped him believe. That same school year, eighth grade, was a banner year for us. Um, uh, those of you who are parents have probably done or are doing the t-ball thing, the soccer thing, the, you know, the travel ball thing. Well, you know, those of you who've done the t-ball thing, how many of you have seen that kid that sits out in center field and picks dandelions? <laughs> Brad. <laughs> I'm, Brad, go pick up the ball. Go pick up the ball. Throw it home. You know, um, uh, I'd, I'd try to get him involved in all kinds of different things, uh, including back in the day I used to run 5Ks and 10Ks. And, and so I'd say, Brad, let's go to the track and run some. And he was one and done. And I'm not talking about one mile and done. I'm talking about one lap. <laughs> I'd say, hey, let's go, let's go play golf. He'd say, we get in a cart? <laughs> Eighth grade, he ran into a physical education teacher named Pam Mitchell and a lacrosse coach named Carl Newton. Pam convinced my son Brad that he could run, that he could run fast. Carl Newton convinced him that he could be competitive and that he could achieve. I go to lacrosse practice to pick him up one day, and they're running wind sprints. How many of you remember wind sprints? I am so blessed that I never have to run another wind sprint. Full lacrosse gear, and I'm looking, and I see the pack running wind sprints, and I can't see Brad, and I said, Dog, did you cut practice today? And then I see him. He's 20 yards out ahead of everybody else and laughing, loving it. I'm thinking, what? It was Brad. They helped him believe. Goes on, four-time all-conference uh, runner in cross-country at Hoggard, um, four times running in the States, all-conference in the 800, the mile, and the two-mile for four years. Runner of the year, starting as runner of the year for cross-country, uh, goes on to run at Appalachian. This is my son who sat in center field picking dandelions. The power of the word believe. He believed he could do it because someone took the time to help him believe that he had the power. That's why I'm here today. Is to help you believe that you have the power. That there's something, that there are many things that you can do to change the world one life at a time. Maya Angelou says, you're the possible. Let me ask you to think for a second. If not you, as followers of Jesus, then who? That's part of our calling. Virgil says they can because they think they can. I used to think that was a little engine that could, right? And when I found out that those words came from Virgil, I was crushed. <laughs> but that from Virgil, but from Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wasn't kidding that's the message to us today. Paul wasn't kidding. He was serious. So we've imagined a better, a stronger, a safer community. We believe in our power to act. So the next word and the last word is lead. We're going to turn to James for this. 
For those of you who are in your paper Bibles, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, if you're scrolling, um, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now hear me. Clearly, ladies and gentlemen, that's not faith by works. That's works because of faith. That's what James is saying to us. That if you know somebody is hungry and you don't feed them, if you know somebody needs clothing and you don't help them, if you know somebody needs prayer and you don't pray for them, then what's the purpose of your faith? So, Lots of works, lots of work requires tools, right? We need a toolkit. Well, just so happens, I've got a toolkit for you. Um, we're going to look at a couple of Bible passages about these tools, about these gifts that we all have. And we don't all have the same gifts, but we have gifts. Uh, we're going to look at uh, first uh, Romans 12, 6 through 8. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. We all have gifts, and the gifts that, you know, I, I looked at, um, at, at the sort of the list of spiritual gifts that are offered to us by the grace of God, and the list is powerful. Um, the, uh, here's, the, here's the toolkit that we're given by grace. Administration, being an apostle, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, sharing, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching or shepherding, and wisdom. Spiritual gifts that are offered to us by grace each unto our own. We all have different gifts, and that's why it takes all of us as a church, as a saltbox community church, to come together and share the gifts that we individually have. And those translate into things like, can you serve a cup of coffee and smile at somebody? Can you? Can you volunteer at a food shelter? Can you teach a kid to read? Those gifts, those gifts can play out in our community and help change the world. So, um, and, it, and it can be simple. I'll share an example from my life this week. I had a young woman, tough spot in her life. Uh, she overdosed on heroin and fentanyl, and uh, they tried to revive her with Narcan, six shots of Narcan. For those of you who who don't know much about Narcan, usually it's one or two shots and the folk come, you know, either they're going to die or they're going to burst away. Well, they gave her six shots trying to revive her and ultimately the paramedics had to use a defibrillator and they were able to bring her back. 
and we had kind of a hard hearing um, about it. Um, and, you know, because part of what I have to do, I have to make decisions and cases. But then when it came time to figure out what we were going to do, I looked at what the recommendations were, and I circled back to her, and I said, okay, I'm done with all the hard talk today. Can we just talk for a second? And she nodded her head, and I said, are you okay today? And she kind of looked at me like, what? I said, are you okay today? Have you connected to somebody that can help you uh, with that demon you're fighting, heroin? Have you connected with somebody yet? And she said, yes, sir. I said, good, because I'm concerned about you. I care about you. I want you to be okay. Will you, will you promise me that you'll commit to that treatment, that you'll work to fight that demon? Will you? She said, yes, sir. And then I said, will you promise me to stay alive until the next time I see you? She said, I promise. I said, I'm going to hold you to it. We'll talk about it when I see you the next time. She's one of a group I call my promise keepers. Because I have that conversation with every single parent that overdoses that come to me. And I ask them to promise me to stay alive till the next time I see them. I want them to know someone loves them. Someone cares. Now, if I'm sitting up there all judgified, how am I helping her? But if I can share my heart with her to show that someone cares, then I can help her change her life. We all can do that. We can all share a kind word with someone who needs it. We've got that ability. Think about what Jesus did. You know, people put that bumper sticker on their car. What would Jesus do? And they don't give it a second thought. Well, what would Jesus do? Where would Jesus be in our community? He'd be in Creekwood. He'd be, he'd be in Houston Moore. He'd be in the homeless camp. He'd be at the Good Shepherd serving breakfast and lunch and dinner. Where do you think Jesus would be? And what do you think he'd be doing? What did he do when he walked this earth? Who did he take care of? He took care of the poor, the downtrodden, the widows, the orphans, the children, those who were sick. That's who he took care of. He turned his back on church people, right? The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. He turned his back on them because he recognized where he needed to serve and he did it. We need to recognize where we need to serve and ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? What, what role in this world do we have because we've invited Jesus into our heart? What's our role? What's our place? What would Jesus do? I think you know. Because we've invited Jesus to live in us. And that means we're called. You remember what James wrote to us? If you don't feed them and clothe them, what good's your faith? We're called to action because we're believers. We are called to take those steps. Is it hard? Yes, it can be hard. Does it require sacrifice at times? Yes, it does. But we're called as Christians to do that, to make that change. We're called. Sometimes folks have fear about, you know, stepping up and stepping out, stepping out of your comfort zone, doing something different. You should be relieved that, that, that my comfort zone keeps me from singing behind the microphone. Not, that's just not going to happen. Thank you, Missy, for and the worship team for, for leading us because that ain't one of my gifts. Um, my dad, bless his heart, you know, when I was growing up, you know, front row, uh, my brother and sister and I with our mom, and there's my dad standing up, praising the Lord at the top of his lungs. His theory was make a joyful noise because it wasn't a tune. 
but as loud as he could, right? So, so, but here's the message about if you've got the fear of stepping out of your comfort zone, if you've got a fear of taking on the unknown, of taking that step forward boldly, we're in it together. We're in it together. You won't be out with a yellow, canary yellow coffee truck by yourself. There'll be folks working with you. When you go to Rachel Freeman to help with a work day that's going to be in the news for us to work on their front entrance, you won't be alone because we're here together. We're Saltbox Church, and together we're going to work together so that as we come together, we can all overcome our fear. I've been sitting over there just as anxious as I could be all morning long about getting up here. And I'm saying, Jesus, come on, <laughs> you know, help me be strong. And I, you know, once I'm up here, I'm feeling better about it, but I was anxious. But, but I remarked to somebody, it's okay because I'm here among friends, right? We're all here among friends. And so as we step out into that uncertainty and take that bold step forward and then another and then another, we're doing it among friends, among fellow believers to change the world one life at a time. Here's another newsflash. We can do it today. We can make that commitment today to be Christians of action. The movie Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams called his young men around him in front of the trophy case and whispered to them, carpe diem, carpe diem. And he whispered it over and over and over again, seize the day. Well, that day, ladies and gentlemen, is today to commit as followers of Jesus that we're going to be salt in the community. This is not about taking out this and opening your calendar and seeing if it's convenient. We're called to action. It's not ever convenient. Missy and I were talking before, uh, before worship started this morning. I'm preaching today. I presented to a big court task force on Friday. I spent three hours filming with Duke University Tuesday. It hadn't been a week of convenience, right? But each of those steps was important and is part of my calling. So don't let convenience be a barrier to you. Making a difference in people's life does take sacrifice. But let the fire of Jesus well up in you and be passionate. Let the strength of Jesus in you help you be committed. Um, recognize that call to the leadership in our community that each of you have. Recognize the words from James that are calls to action to us to serve those in need. Recognize that in your life and cling tightly to it. And yes, be salt in the community. Preserve. Preserve and amplify our community. Purify it and clean it through our actions and our deeds. And yes, bring the seasoning of Jesus Christ to our community so that folks know what's driving us, which helps folks know why we're trying to be leaders in their lives. So King Jesus, open our minds and our hearts to the opportunities that lay before us. Strengthen our will and our belief that we can do so much in your name. Guide us as we answer your call to service using the gifts we've been given by the grace of God to be salt in this community to do as you would do in your holy name.
Amen. What a blessing. Thank you. What a blessing to be with you today and to share. Um, if you need a uh, time of prayer, I'll ask some of our prayer team to come up and be at the front uh, for you to, to pray with you. If you haven't ever accepted Jesus into your life, come on up. We'll talk about it. We'll pray about it. And I'll make sure that you're connected to Michael when he's home uh, so that we can talk about it. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being willing to be salt in our community. Let's take this journey together. So thank you, everyone. Special thanks to the folks who joined us online and safe travels to Michael and Abby. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.